Why don't you take your Bibles with me and go to Colossians chapter number one, Colossians chapter number one, and we're going to read uh, one last time this chapter as we are finishing our series Strengthen today, and we'll uh, get, of course, I said we'll uh, start a new series next weekend on strengthening our mission as a church and looking forward to that. We're also in that series going to be uh, having some practical instruction on how to be a witness for Christ, and so we'll do a little bit of that. Of that. How many say, I could always use a little refresher in that area and myself as well. And maybe you're here and you've never witnessed to somebody as a Christian in our life. That's something that Jesus Christ calls us all to do. That's a good spot to say, man, I know you're tired, but that's a place where Jesus calls all of us to do is to be a witness for him. And so we're in Colossians chapter number one. Look with me at verse number 10. We're going to read verse 10 through 14, and then we'll have our prayer that you might walk worthy of, uh, of the Lord unto all pleasing being what? Fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in light. That means that God made us to be appropriate, to become joint heirs with Christ. We are now in his eyes uh, uh, like sons and daughters. Verse 13 who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Let's read verse 14 together. Ready to begin. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you one last time before the message. Lord, help us. As all of us today, Lord, have many things in our hearts, many things in our minds. Lord, I know people here have a to-do list a mile long. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to put all those things out of our minds. I pray that you minimize distractions in the room. The cell phone wouldn't ring, Lord, and all these things, Lord, that happen. But help us to focus on your word. Help us to pay attention to the Holy Spirit as you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As our last message today in the series, I wanted to just do a little bit of a recap with some of what we've talked about over the last several weeks, this is the fifth sermon in the series, and so we've had four other messages I'd like to just touch on briefly before we move on to the last stage of spiritual growth that we talked about. And so before we get there, though, let's talk about the three statements that we made. And how many remember at least one of the three statements? I remember at least one, all right, two or three of you, all right, let's try it. Number one, before you show it, number one, oh, you already showed it. Number one, spiritual growth is what? Not automatic. So it's not what, church? It is not automatic, and uh, spiritual growth is something that takes uh, uh, effort. It takes consistency. Uh, just because you sit in a garage doesn't make you a car, and just because you sit in church doesn't make you a Christian. Amen? And so you have to work at it. You have to concentrate on it. And how many of you in your life have learned that spiritual growth takes effort? It takes effort. And so we, and how many recognize there's, we must grow spiritually? Whether you're seven or whether you're 70, whether you're a deacon or you just got saved in your life, we all, all must concentrate and focus on spiritual growth. It is essential in our life. It's essential. How many recognize today that there are enemies to our spiritual growth? Anybody here have a hard time coming to church today? Amen. I see some moms raising their hand. Amen. Uh, uh, this morning, you know, trying to get all the kids ready and, you know, can't find this guy's pants and can't find this kid's underwear and can't find this kid's socks and, and can't find the one shoe. Why is there always one shoe missing? You know, and, and it's just the devil. 
get in the car, and this morning my car said, you know, uh, passenger front tires, flat. Well, amen. We drove to church on a flat tire, amen. And uh, I'm just telling you, the devil hates it. He hates you. He hates everything you're trying to do. He doesn't want you to grow in Christ. He doesn't want your family to grow. He wants your teenager to get all messed up. He wants your young, uh, young adult to get all messed up. He doesn't want you to grow, and so it's not automatic. Number two, spiritual growth is not what? Oh, you remember it. It's not linear. And what that means is as we grow in our spiritual life, you don't reach a certain level and you stay there. It's just not the way that it works. Sometimes you're on fire for the Lord, man, and you just, you would charge hell with a squirt gun and no problem. And there are days though when, boy, just, man, you, you don't even want to get out of bed. How many know what I'm talking about? And so it's not linear. And we understand this morning that, uh, that you know, you just, man, you got to reach this stage and boy, you're going to, no, that's not the way it goes. We're all, we're all still in the learning stage. Amen. We're all still in the learning stage and learning about God and, and learning about the Bible and coming to church and and so we understand that. It's not linear. Some days you're going to be on fire for the Lord. Some days you're going to need help. But uh, here's the blessing. If you find yourself in a, in a place where you don't want to be spiritually, you find yourself maybe a little lackadaisical towards God, maybe a little bit lazy towards the things of God, all you have to do is get right back on track. And God picks right back up. And then you grow. And, and it's amazing. And that's what revival is all about. So we have uh, spiritual growth is not automatic or linear. But lastly, spiritual growth is always what, church? It's always worth it. As Brother Ehrlich said, it's always worth it to grow spiritually. You will not regret, uh, you will not regret one minute of church. You'll not regret it. Uh, I guess it depends on what the pastor talks about or how long he preaches. Amen. But you won't regret going to church. You won't regret reading your Bible. You won't regret prayer time. You won't regret spending time with the Lord. It's always worth it. Then we, then we talked about the stages. We talked about the learning stage. And just leave that there, brother. We won't do that this morning. I, I got so excited in my first message, I literally took my hand and erased everything I drew during the first message. I thought, that was dumb. I have another message to preach, amen? So it's all messed up, so that's okay. You remember the board. You understand that there is the learning stage. And we, we understand what is the catalyst of the learning stage. It is faith in Christ. Remember that? For by faith are you what? Saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could uh, uh, earn your way to heaven, if you could do a certain amount of things to go to heaven, we get up there and we'd say, you know, uh, I got up here because I was so awesome at all the things that I did, and that's not the way that salvation works. It's a gift of God. And so faith is the catalyst, and we begin to learn. We begin to learn about God. And remember the two lines we have. We grow upwards. We grow in grace. Amen. And then below the line, we grow in truth. And as we grow in truth, we grow in grace. We cannot grow with truth without grace. We cannot grow in grace without truth. We understand that if you grow in grace and not in truth, that is rebellion against God. Well, God doesn't care what I do. He doesn't care what I, what I, how I live my life. And, you know, everything is cool. I just do whatever I want. How many recognize that God gives us the truth of his word because he has some expectations of us? You see, we have expectations of our children, don't we? How many have expectations of your kids? You expect them to do their chores. You expect them to brush their teeth. You expect them to do certain things, but you don't expect them to be perfect. That's grace and truth. Jesus Christ, by the way, was the embodiment of grace and truth. I love John chapter number one. I love it so much. The Bible says in John chapter number one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was 
God. The same was in the beginning with God. Aren't you glad that the Bible says in First John, uh, excuse me, in John chapter number one, verse three, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 10, he came unto his own or verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believeth on his name. Aren't you one of those this morning that believed on his name and he's given you the power to become the sons of God? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father full of what? Grace and truth. How many recognize that's our greatest example to be full of grace and truth this morning? So as we grow in truth of God's word, we grow in the grace of God's word. We understand this morning as we increase in those things that we begin to, as Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says, walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. The goal of Christian growth is not a position, but production. We don't grow in Christ so that I'm a better Christian. I don't want to be like, we're going to talk about this tonight. I don't want to be like the disciples who sat around and said, who's going to be the greatest, Jesus? Who's the great? Who's, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus brought in a little kid and said, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is those who trust in me like this little child. We're going to talk about that tonight, but we understand this morning that we must grow in grace and in truth. Then as we learn in Christ, we learn the Bible, we learn in church and those things, we have what's called light bulb moments. How many love those light bulb moments in our life? Amen. When the Holy Spirit says, nope, and we say yes. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you doing that. We say, well, I'm doing it anyway. Then the Holy Spirit says, no. And then we finally learn, okay, I'm not going to do that. And then we learned, man, that was the best decision I could have made. Light bulb moments when we recognize that what God says is the best thing. And what God wants is the best thing for us, all those light bulb moments. And by the way, you have light bulb moments because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. How many are glad for the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And the same Holy Spirit that's been around for millennia been, is the same, not millennia, but the same Holy Spirit been around for a long time. There's the same Holy Spirit has been around in your heart. And speaks to you today. I think about uh, I think about that story in First Kings chapter nineteen when Elijah is running from Jezebel. He's scared of her. He doesn't want to die. And God uh, sends the earthquake. And the Bible says that God was not in the earthquake. And God sends the wind. And God wasn't in the wind. And then God sends the fire. And God wasn't in the fire. But then the Bible says in First Kings nineteen that there was a still small voice. And that's where God is. Is that little voice? I hope God is speaking to you. I said I hope God is speaking to you. Brother Ehrlich, when you were talking this morning, man, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me about my Jerusalem. And so I'm thankful for those light bulb moments. And then we learned about the loving God stage. We talked about that last week. Jesus said, the first commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. We learned that loving God is surrender. Surrendering our hearts, our minds, our ambitions, our attention, our affection, our actions, being 100% and completely surrendered to God. We, we, we learn to love God when we begin to serve him, not to make other people happy, but because we love him. We serve him not for a pat on the back, but because we love him. We serve him and we sacrifice for him not to get something back, but because we love him. So we talked about that. Now, that's all review. How many are ready for some new material? All right. So, Pastor, man, you, okay, here we go. They say that learning is through repetition, but... Hopefully it helps. Tonight, today, I'm going to wrap this message up with a message on living for God. And this is really the last and final stage. And uh, uh, of course, there's many stages of Christian growth. Don't get me wrong. But in my mind, in my heart, living for God is the pinnacle of Christian growth, learning to live for God. 
May I just say this this morning, and I hope this resonates in your heart today. Living for God is the greatest achievement of the Christian life. Living for God is the greatest achievement of the Christian life. I said, living for God is the greatest achievement of the Christian life. There is nothing greater than living for God. There's nothing greater for you than living for God. Teenager, listen, there's nothing greater for you than living for God. Young person, there's nothing greater for you than living for God. Married couple, there's nothing greater than living for God. There is nothing. There is no higher call. There is no higher achievement. There is no trophy, trophy worth it. There's no raise better than living for God. Listen, this morning, you can become the president of the United States. You can win more Super Bowls than Tom Brady. You can have more money than Elon Musk and and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates combined. You could do all these. You could be the best actor, the most beloved person on the planet. And all of those things would pale in comparison to a life lived for God. Miserably pale. I just want to tell you this morning that living for God is the highest achievement for the Christian. Living for him. Oh, yes, we should love him and we want to love God. And yes, we need to learn to have light bulb moments. But at the end of the day, we need to live for God with our life. I don't understand why uh, so many people, they spend so much of their time arguing about stuff and, and, and not enough time living for God. Listen, I'm all for post-premillennial arguments and, and dispensationalism and why we do this and why we don't do that. And, and, you know, uh, forget, and, and listen, I understand there's, there's a time and a place for that stuff. But listen, how about we just live for God? And all God's people said, amen. amen. A wise man one time told me on his deathbed, he said, Pastor... I wish Christians would stop arguing and just live for God. And just live for God. And isn't that the truth this morning? If we would just live for God. You say, well, pastor, I'm not special. I'm just a regular person. I don't have any, I'm not called to the ministry. I don't have anything like, let me show you something. Take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter number six. Let's look at a couple things here. Acts chapter number six. Oftentimes we say, and rightfully so, we say that the disciples turned the world upside down for God. And that's true, they did. But you know who really turned the world upside down for God? People with no name, ordinary people. Let me show you. Go to Acts chapter number six. Let me kind of go back here a little bit and and we'll be out here on time, whatever that means. All right, Acts chapter number six, verse one. And in those days, the number of the disciples was multiplied. Man, people were getting saved. 3,000 people just got saved in Acts chapter number two. I mean, the, the gospel was spreading in Jerusalem. There was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. There was people getting saved, Greeks and, and Hebrews, and, and uh, the Grecians were looking at how the Jews took care of the Jewish widows. They weren't really taking care of the Grecian widows, so there's this issue here. And so, verse number two, the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, Is it not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we give ourselves continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose who? They chose Stephen, who was the best uh, staff evangelist at the largest church in Jerusalem. No. They chose Stephen because he has been faithfully on staff for 14. No. They chose Stephen because he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Those were his qualifications. He wasn't a Bible college graduate. He didn't go to seminary. Uh, he didn't study law. I mean, this guy, he just was full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And Philip and Prochorus, Nicor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch, they chose these seven men. We see here in the book of Acts, 
great things were happening. Many people were getting saved in Jerusalem. They had these issues, but they were figuring things out, and people were getting saved. And, but they picked these men, some ordinary men, to take care of some of this uh, stuff that needed to be done, just stuff that needed to be done. And their first choice was Stephen. As far as we can tell, up until this moment, the gospel has stayed in Jerusalem. But what did Jesus tell the disciples in Matthew chapter 28? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. And so we understand that God's design for the gospel was to what? To spread, to go out. And so the disciples were hanging out here, and the apostles now were hanging out here in Jerusalem. And so Christ wanted them to take the gospel out. Stephen, this ordinary guy, he wasn't an apostle. Matter of fact, he wasn't anyone special at all. He was just a guy living his life for God, just living his life for God. He starts out with some ordinary tasks, taking care of the widows. He went to the grocery store for them and brought home groceries. And he went into their house and, and maybe vacuumed their, their house or swept out their house. And, and, uh, and he just did some ordinary stuff. May I say today that you might feel like what you do is ordinary, but when we do the ordinary faithfully, that's when God can do the extraordinary. We don't do the extraordinary. That's not on us. Hey, it's not on us to do the extraordinary. No, no, no. All we need to do is do the ordinary faithfully. And God's the one that shows up and does the extraordinary. And, and here's Stephen. He's just doing the ordinary. He's just doing the day-to-day -day stuff. And guess what? Uh, the church started taking notice. And they started realizing, man, Stephen, he's full of faith. And so they chose him to, be, to help with this stuff. And, and Stephen was just doing the ordinary. I, I think back a few years ago, many years ago, we had an intern here uh, just come in and help us. This was back before I was pastoring. And, uh, and I think it was just around the time we put the modulars in over there, so maybe 12 years ago or so. And uh, we were doing a lot of work. We were cleaning stuff up and, you know, sweeping stuff. And, and every day was work, 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 work. And I remember I'm sitting in my office, and, and God bless this guy. He was a Bible college student. Lord help him. But anyway, we were sitting there, and he come in, and he says, he goes, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. I said, what's up? He goes, he goes you know, I'm, just, I'm getting a little discouraged here. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I just feel like, he goes, when am I going to get to do real ministry? Brother, that's brilliant. I about came out of my chair. I said, bro, this is real ministry. This is as real as ministry gets. <laughs> ministry is not sitting behind a desk. Ministry is not pushing paper. Ministry is work, brother. So cleaning a toilet and moving a chair, that's real ministry. And may I say today, may God bring some Christians along that say, hey, I don't mind vacuuming. I don't mind wiping a mirror down. I don't mind dust mopping. I don't mind handing out gospel tracts. I don't mind handing out a bulletin. I don't mind ushering. I don't mind just doing some regular everyday stuff. Amen. Because that's when God shows up and does the extraordinary. We see here that Stephen draws the attention of the church, but also draws the attention of someone else, the Pharisees. They don't like what's going on. I'll tell you what, what scares the devil is not when the pastor's on fire, but when God's people get on fire. I mean, it scares the devil when I'm on fire too, but I'm telling you, it really scares him when God's people say, you know what? It's time. That's when the devil starts getting real nervous. So here we see in Acts chapter number seven, Stephen preaches a message. We know he's a Baptist because it's the longest message in the New Testament, amen? But it doesn't inspire the crowd. It enrages them. They become so angry with him that they, the Bible says they gnash on him with their teeth. They bite him. They're, they're upset. And you know, and I know, at the end of this chapter, Stephen, this ordinary man, not a pastor, not a, not a staff evangelist, became the first Christian martyr. Stephen gave his life 
Someone might look at that and say, well, that was kind of a waste. Why did he give his life? What, what good did that do? Oh, let me show you what it did. Go to Acts chapter number eight. Look at verse one. Something incredible happened. All these people, all these Christians were standing around. Paul the apostle, who became Paul the apostle, saw at this time, who was persecuting the churches, watching this young man be stoned. And Stephen looks up towards heaven and says, Father, I commend my spirit and, and forgive them and all these things. And, and, and so we see this whole thing take place. Look at Acts chapter number one. It says, and this is not a break, but a continuation of Acts chapter seven. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great what? Persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And notice this, and they were all scattered abroad. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then say the next three words with me, except the apostles. The apostles stayed put. So the gospel really was spread not by the apostles, but by regular people with no name. Their names aren't recorded here. We know about Philip and some others, but most of the people that were spread abroad were just people like you and me who just said, you know what? I just want to serve God. I just want to live with God, live for God in my life. Verse four, and they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word because of Stephen's faith and his testimony and many other, uh, uh, many other people, their ordinary people just like him were inspired. He inspired an entire generation to spread out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The testimony of an ordinary man living his life for God inspired the gospel to be spread to Judea and Samaria in the uttermost part. Ordinary people can change the world with the gospel. Let me say that again. Ordinary people can change the world with the gospel. You know, I don't think we need any more slick pastors with their slick haircuts and their Learjets. What we need is some Christians to say, I'm going to take the gospel with me. I don't have a jet, by the way. I'm working on it. We'll see. Hopefully this year. No, I'm just simply saying we need some people to say, that's me. I'll live for God. Three quick things this morning. Three important convictions I want to leave with you with this whole series. Number one, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. He wants to use you. Consider this. God has given you talents, desires, skills. These are all things that God wants to use for his glory and for a gospel purpose. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says, See a man diligent in his business. He shall stand before kings and shall not stand before mean men. God has given you some skills that will bring you places and allow you to reach people that someone like me could never reach. Only about 1% of the people in our church are called the full-time Christian service. But 100% of the people in this church are called to serve Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Most of you will not serve Christ full time in your life. I understand that. Most of you have a different kind of a job. You're not a pastor or a missionary or something like that, but that's okay. That's even better because guess what? God has given you some things. God has given you some skills. God has given you some desires. God has given you some opportunities to live for God, to live for God in a way that others can't. I want to debunk a Christian myth this morning. Maybe like those shows, Mythbusters. It wastes a lot of money, it seems like to me. But anyway, I would like to myth bust a Christian myth right now. People, a lot of people are sitting around. I call this the lucky charms myth. A lot of people are sitting around looking in their lucky charms, waiting for God to speak to them. Well, I'm not called. Or I don't, God doesn't show me what to do. 
Brother and sister, listen to me. That's a myth. That's a lie of the devil. When you trusted in Christ as your Savior, you said, I'm going to follow Christ. And when you said, I'm going to follow Christ, you accepted the call of Christ to go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. When you decided to follow Christ, you signed up for a mission. You signed up to follow him. And with that fall, with that following is a calling that you are supposed to go and you are supposed to live for God. And may I just say today, thank God for pastors and thank God for staff and thank God for missionaries. But may God call some Christians out of their slumber and say, I want to serve God with my life. I want to serve him with my life. You may not have very many years left to serve him, but serve him with as many years as God gives you. You might be younger and think you have a long time. You don't know how long you're going to live. Serve God with your life. Serve God with your life. Leverage your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Serve him with your life today. Oh, we are called when we followed Christ. So stop looking in your cereal bowl, amen? And I know God does call some people, and he does call some people in a miraculous way. But for most of us, it's just, okay, God, here am I, send me. God's not looking for a somebody. He's just looking for someone. By the way, maybe you're here and you think, man, I'm God's gift to the the planet. I'm all that in a bag of chips, sign me up. Guess what? I have good news. God can use you too, amen? Amen. Because God can use anyone. And he wants to use you. Let's say it together. God wants to use me. Ready? God wants to use me. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. I think about some of you guys that, that go to work in those factories and, and, boy, rough people there. And, boy, they just, you know, they're, they're just, uh, you know, and, and here you are. You're, you're the only light of the gospel they may ever see. I'm not allowed in that factory. I can't go witness to those guys, but you can be a witness. Amen. Think about some of you moms at work, and, and boy, I tell you, all oh, well, the other ladies are, are, are doing things they shouldn't do. You could be a light and a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think about you teenagers in the room that go to school, and, and listen, I know that going to school, no matter what school you go to, it's hard. Whether it's a Christian school, I know going to public school can be difficult. And listen, I understand this morning that it's a, it, it can make, you can be made fun of, and, and people can look down on you for being a Christian. But may I just say today, you have an opportunity to live for God. To live for God. Everyone here in the room today, God has given different talents. You might be a factory worker, a medical professional, a contractor, a business owner. You might even be a YouTuber. God can use you maybe even. Amen. Today, I just want to, I want to, I want you to realize that God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Pastor, I'm so quiet. I'm so shy. God still wants to use you. Pastor, you don't understand my past. You don't know what I've done. God still wants to use you. Is anybody else getting excited about that? Is anybody else excited? Pastor, I've wasted so many years. Okay, God still wants to use you. Pastor, you should see my family. We're so messed up. God wants to use you. He wants to use you. Oh, God wants to use me. Secondly, this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to speak through me. The Holy Spirit wants to speak through you. Did you know Jesus said some pretty crazy stuff? He said some things sometimes that just didn't make sense. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 16. I'll hurry up. I know I, I got to move on here. John chapter 16. Look at verse 7. I have to say this. In and out will be open when you're done. So here. John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus said some pretty absurd things sometimes, and this is one of those times. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I think he said that because his disciples thought he was going to be lying. But he said, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you. It's advantageous for you. It's better for you that I go away. Excuse me? How could that ever make sense? How many think that doesn't make any sense? 
How could it be better for me that Jesus is going to go away? Because he says, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. See, Jesus said, here's the truth. Because I'm going away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And that's advantageous for you. How can that be? Can you imagine having Jesus as your friend walking around with you for three years? Can you imagine? You're hungry, poof, in and out, right there, boom. Your dog dies, he brings the dog back from, from the dead. Your cat dies, and he helps you bury the hole. Amen? So anyway, <laughs> can you imagine that? But he says, I'm going away. Why? Why is that better? Because you and I and every Christian and every church in America and everyone that's saved in every place in this world, every single one of us that knows Jesus Christ as our Savior has within us the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit wants to work through you. We just need a bunch of Christians that say, you know what? I want to allow the Holy Spirit to do some extraordinary things through me. And the way that we do that is just by ordinary people doing ordinary things. Because when ordinary people just keep doing ordinary things, that's when the Holy Spirit shows up and does the extraordinary. I think about one time in the Bible where this is true. There are many times. But if you read Acts chapter number eight, if you go on, you read about one of those ordinary guys named Philip. How many love the story of Philip? I'm almost done. Here's Philip. The Holy Spirit says to him, Brother Omake, he says, Philip, I want you to go to the desert. Philip says, okay. So Philip goes to the desert. Doesn't make any sense. Nothing special about that. Now Philip's in the desert. The Holy Spirit says, Philip, I just want you to stand right here. Philip says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going back home. No, no. He said, okay, Holy Spirit, I'll stand right here. Those things are pretty ordinary. But you know, something extraordinary happened. Here comes the Ethiopian eunuch with his chariot. He comes along here, and the Ethiopian eunuch has his Bible, and it's turned to Isaiah, and he's sitting in his chariot, and the Holy Spirit says, that's why I brought you down here, Philip. Go talk to that guy. So Philip, he runs over. He doesn't crawl. He doesn't walk. He doesn't skip. He runs over to the Ethiopian eunuch. He gets up in the, 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 the chariot there with him, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? The guy says, no, how can I understand except some man show me? And right there from that very scripture, Philip began to show that man Jesus Christ. And that man, uh, that Ethiopian eunuch bowed his head and accepted Christ as his Savior that day. And because of that Ethiopian eunuch getting saved and those people in his party they went back down to sub-Saharan Africa and today there are Christians in Africa because of the Ethiopian eunuch because God, because God used a regular guy named Philip and just told him to stand there can I just say this today the Holy Spirit tells us to do things sometimes and it may not make sense to us and we might think man what am I doing what am I doing this isn't going to help anybody this isn't going to help anything the Holy Spirit just says go, go stand there God could do the extraordinary with the ordinary. Philip wasn't a Bible college president. He wasn't the pastor of a large church. He was just somebody like you and me who was willing to be used by God. May I say lastly this morning that Jesus is always worth it. And we'll end with that. Jesus is always worth it. If you lived your life for God on your deathbed, I've been with many people on their deathbed. I'm almost done. They never say to me, man, I wish I would have made more money. I've been with multiple people on their deathbed. And they've never said that one time. Man, I wish I made more money. Man, I wish I worked more. Just I didn't work enough. Not one time. They always say the same thing. I can't wait to meet Jesus. I can't wait to go home. Man, I wish I would have served the Lord better in my life. I wish I would have done more. Every time. It's always worth it to serve the Lord. Let's go to Acts chapter number seven. Let's look at one more verse here. A couple more verses and we'll be done. Look at verse 54. After Stephen preaches and the people get really upset, it says here, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. 
But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Notice this. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Philip looked up. The end of his life, in that moment, suffering great pain. And he looked up and he saw Jesus standing there. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Everywhere else in the New Testament, Jesus is pictured sitting on the right hand of the Father. But here, in these verses, he's standing. He's standing to receive home his son, this ordinary guy, to be home with him. The world decided that Stephen was a heretic. He was a fool. He was a traitor. His life was a waste, but not Jesus. Jesus stood up and he looked down and he saw Stephen looking up at him. And he said, this is my son. This is my son. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. May I just say in closing today, the only thing that's going to keep you motivated in living your life for Christ is the motivation that he is worth it. He is worth it. May I ask you a question today? Are you living your life for God? Are you living your life for God? You say, Pastor, I'm a software engineer. Yeah? Then be God's software engineer. Leverage your life to serve God. Say, Pastor, I'm just a construction worker, a contractor. Then swing your hammer for the Lord every day. And live your life and leverage your life to serve God. Listen, no matter what you do, no matter where you're from, you might be a mom that raises those kids at home. You might be a a whatever you are. Leverage your life to live for God.